This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Hey, I just wanted to have a quick celebration with all of you. Um, Last week, you know, we had a great time celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Jesus last Sunday. And we had almost 200 more people on uh, last week than we do on a normal Sunday. And I know a bunch of them came uh, because you invited them. So I wanted to say, way to go. Good job for that. And, and really, no, that's the best way um, to have people to come to our church. And a lot of times we'll get people fill out connect cards and they say, you know, I drove by or I found the website. Um, but when you bring someone, you know, a, a stranger, someone who doesn't go to church, uh, not a stranger to the church, not a stranger to you, that you can sit with them, you can go to lunch with them, you can help disciple somebody. So it is really the best time uh, and the best way for us to grow as a church. And really, you could do it any Sunday. You don't just have to wait till Easter. We know it's really easy to do at Easter and Christmas and people will come. Uh, but just bring somebody any Sunday of the year. We are here, 52 weeks of the year, 9 and 11, celebrating Jesus. So we just want to encourage you that you guys can bring people to church any Sunday. But way to go. Uh, we had a great Sunday last week. So we're going to continue our series, Grace to Grace, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Peter chapter 5. And we have been talking about grace for the last four weeks. Uh, if you've missed any of those messages, you can catch up on our website or on a podcast, um, also through our church app. But so far, we've talked about this idea um, and trying to understand the grace of God, uh, that God lavishes his grace on us. He gives us grace. And um, then we also talked about this idea that because of God's grace, that he has set us free from sin So because we're set free from sin, then we should no longer serve sin. The scripture says that we should actually choose to serve other people because God has given us this grace, this wonderful place with him that we should no longer serve sin. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, that all of us have gifts and talents um, that God has given us. And we should put those into practice or into use to be able to serve other people that none of us self manifest the gifts and talents that we have that God has given us those things and he's given us those things for a purpose. And then last week, as we were celebrating the resurrection, uh, we realized and discussed this idea that because of the resurrection, because of the wonderful grace that comes from the resurrection, that we actually have hope at the end of our lives, and then we have hope for today. Um, Whatever we're facing and whatever we're going through, we actually can have hope in our lives now and then into the future. And we're going to continue to talk about that idea a little bit today. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the first part of it says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This phrase here says the God of all grace. So as we look at grace, understand what grace is, we don't want to just define the word grace. Uh, but as we define the word grace, the grace, we are realizing this is a revelation. It's an understanding of the character and nature of God from the scripture. That grace is unique to the Bible. That it is a unique uh, topic, idea, understanding of who, get, who God is, different than all other world religions. Um, that this grace narrative that we see in the scripture shows us and teaches us who God is teaches us about his nature, his character, and then what he does for mankind. The God, 
of all grace. So it's important for us to know and understand what grace is. And as we look at grace every week, I am hopeful that all we do at the end of every week is just thank you, God, for your grace because he continues to pour out his grace upon us. So the word grace uh, defined means all of God's activity towards man. So whatever God gives us in general terms, uh, in every respect, can be called the grace of God. And then specifically, uh, what we're desiring and asking God for, for our lives, that is also grace. Grace means the unfair, unmerited, unferited, unmerited favor of God toward man. In other words, we didn't deserve it, but God gives us his favor. It means undeserved acceptance um, and love received from another. So God gives us grace. That means he gives us acceptance and love, but we didn't deserve it, but he still gives it to us. Um, Undeserved favor granted by a superior to and inferior. In other words, God, who is superior to us, grants grace and favor to us who are inferior to him. The undeserved favor of God in providing salvation for those deserving condemnation. So instead of God condemning us, he gives us grace. Grace speaks of the saving activity of God, which is manifested in the gift of his son to die in the place of sinners. So Jesus is our substitute. This is what we see. This is the story of the gospel that um, Jesus, who didn't know sin, became sin on our behalf because we are sinners or we are sinful. That he took our place, that he was our substitute so God could then give us grace. Grace is a free gift. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost us anything, but God still gives it to us. Grace is gracious or merciful behavior of a more powerful person toward another. And I've said that from the beginning to the end of our Christian lives can be described by grace. We start out in our relationship with God when we say yes to Jesus, when we become born again, whatever terminology that you like. When we start our relationship with God, it's because of grace. And then when we're sustained in our lives, it's because of grace. And at the end of our lives that we get to enter into the presence of God, it is because of grace from beginning to end. And we said this, Christianity is received, it's not achieved. Christianity is not an achievement of our own. It is something that Jesus has accomplished for us and then gives us this gift. So we don't achieve anything to become Christians. We just receive what God has done for us through Christ. We also said that grace is divine influence on the heart and then it's reflection in our lives. So grace comes to us and is offered to us on the inside as, as an internal thing. And then God wants to see his grace reflected in the life that we live. So God wants to be involved in our lives personally every day, all of the time. And this can be described as grace. So last week when we were discussing this idea that because of the resurrection, we have hope at the end of our lives. And then we have hope in the middle of our lives. That would mean in the middle of our circumstances. So what we want to talk about today is just realizing and understanding that God has grace, as we mentioned, for our hearts. Something that would reflect and affect 
us on the inside and then something that we can live out as we face life's circumstances. So turn over with me uh, to some of Jesus' words here in John chapter 16. And we're going to say, see what Jesus says about this idea. He says this in verse 32. Um, actually, before, I just want to give you a little bit of a context of this chapter. Starting out in this chapter, Jesus basically says to all of his disciples that they are going to receive persecution after his, after his death and resurrection. He's telling them all that they're going to receive persecution so much so that they're actually going to be killed. Now, how many of you would like that personal prophecy from Jesus? I know it wouldn't be something that, hey, I wanted to get the MP3 of that. I want to play it back and hear it again. He was, you know, he was letting them know about their future, that they were going to receive this extreme persecution because of Jesus and because they were going to proclaim Jesus and talk about Jesus and talk about the resurrection, that they were going to actually be persecuted. And then verse 32 says, Behold, the hour is coming and indeed has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you and will leave me alone and this is what happened at the end of jesus life as he was whipped as he was beaten as he was being tortured as he was being accused that all of his followers all of his closest friends left him and deserted him and you will leave me alone yes and he says yet i am not alone the father is with me Verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in these verses, Jesus is talking about something exterior, and then he's talking about something interior. That the exterior of our lives, Jesus is describing it, it's going to look like tribulation. Tribulation just means difficulties, struggles. But then he says, in me, in our relationship with him, we're going to have peace. So there's going to be a quality that we have knowing him that's going to look like peace in the middle of difficult circumstances. The world we live in is broken. It is broken by sin. The effects of sin are all around us. And we can look at the world we live in today. And we can watch a half hour of news. And we can be really distraught. But all of the things that are happening in and around the world and in political situation and unrest and war and famine and just so many different things going on around the world. And we could describe it like Jesus. It just looks like tribulation. It looks like a really difficult thing. But Jesus says in me, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But in him, we're actually going to have peace. We're going to have something going on in and around the world that we live. But then, in our relationship with him, we're going to have an inner quality that he's calling us to that looks like peace. One we choose, one we don't. We don't choose to have tribulation. We don't choose to have difficulty. We don't choose some of the things that happen to us. And we don't choose some of the things that happen in our country and in the countries in the world. But Jesus is saying, in the midst of that, in the midst of all of this stuff, that has gone on and is going on and will continue to go on in the world that he actually says, I've overcome the world. And that in me, Jesus is saying, you can have peace. We can have this interior quality regardless of the circumstances that are going on around us. 
Now, we could describe life. We could know a little bit and describe life um, by the metaphor, you know, looking at sports. Now, I claim, my wife does not claim this, that I think sports is the greatest reality television that we have. It's full of life drama, life experiences, background stories, people going through stuff. And uh, my wife doesn't agree with any of this, but just stay with me. Um, that, and especially being a Toronto sports fan, that life is like being a Toronto sports fan. It is the highest of highs, and it's the lowest of lows. If we think about it a year ago, the Leafs were last place overall, terrible, you know. But this year we're in the playoffs, and we're hanging in the playoffs with the team that finished first overall. And even if we don't win this series, which I hope we will, even if we don't, we've already run, we've come so far, and we are, you know, and now we're like, we, we, there's, there's hope for us, for the Leafs. But a year ago, we had no hope for the Leafs, but a year ago, we loved the Jays. But right now, the Jays stink. <laughs> and Carnacion is gone, Batista is terrible right now, a bunch of people are hurt. So we last year, we were on the mountaintop with the Jays, and we were in the valley with the Leafs, and now we've swapped. And then the Raptors, <laughs> they're driving me crazy. I don't know who's going to show up from game to game. They're g- we're going to be excited about them, and then they're going to like lose by 30, and we're like, what are you doing to us? This is what life is like. There's excitement and there's celebration and somebody gets an A on their test. And then something terrible happens. Something goes on that we didn't actually choose and we didn't want. That this is what life is like and this is what life will continue to be like. Jesus told us, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have trial, you're going to struggle. But that he says, in me, in me, in my grace... In a relationship with me, you can actually have peace. You can have steady in the midst of the ups and downs. Because God's peace doesn't go up and down. God's peace is steady. God's grace is steady for us to access it and to have it and to experience it in all of life's tribulations and ups and downs. The Apostle Paul, who is you know famous for writing about two-thirds of the New Testament, he went through so many interesting experiences. And he, everywhere he was going, he was blazing a new trail and he was planting churches and he was preaching the gospel. And everywhere he went, you know, one preacher said that everywhere he went, the Apostle Paul had revival and he had riot. He had excitement and then he had, you know, people who just literally wanted to kill him. And life is like this sometimes. And if, you, if you're in any type of leadership position, you know, and you're in a leadership position and you make a decision, there will be a bunch of people who will celebrate and be like, yes, we've been waiting for that choice. And based even on that same choice, you'll have as many people who will hate you because of that exact same thing that you did. And this was what Paul's life was like. He would go and he would preach the gospel. And people were like, this is what we've been waiting for. Religion is useless. God has come and he has saved us. Jesus has come and he's lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He resurrected. This is the good news. And some people were like, yes, this is the message we've been waiting for. And then generally a bunch of religious people would say, no, kill him. And Paul's life was like this. He had experienced 
so many different things. Let's read a little bit about it. Second Corinthians chapter four. He says, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Verse 15, all this for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now he's talking about an interior quality. And then he says this, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So he's contrasting the inside and the outside. And what he says to us, About our outside, what's happening to our outsides? Uh, They're wasting away. (laughs) Are you glad you came to church this morning? You know, basically, here's the story for all of us, that we're all getting older, and we're all wasting away, and then we're all going to die. I mean, the last time I checked, the mortality rate is 100%. So the, the, the older we get, we're outwardly, we're just wasting away. But then he contrasts that to the inside. He said, inside, we're growing day by day. Inwardly, we're, it's a totally different thing that's happening. On the outside, we're getting older and wasting away. But on the inside, what is it? We are being renewed day by day. Some going on on the outside, but then something different happening on the inside. So we don't want to lose heart. Verse 17, he says, for our light... And momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the stuff that we see with our physical eyes, that stuff is changing. It is temporary. Circumstances don't stay the same. But he says we're not supposed to be staring At the scene, we're supposed to look at the unseen. We're supposed to look at God. Look at what God is giving to us in his grace. I want to see that. So I want to see past the stuff that's going on around me, the ups and downs. And I want to see, Paul is telling us, see something different. But he describes his life, he says, this light, momentary affliction. Now, we're going to read a little bit about some of Paul's difficulties and his struggles. And really, it's going to put all of our struggles to shame. Uh, The stuff that we go through. And we're going to see some of the stuff that Paul went through. But how Paul is describing it, he's like, this is light. You know, this is actually pretty small. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read some of the stuff that the Apostle Paul went through. And as we read this, we're going to see that this is actually described later. Um, as Paul's thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Now, before we go any, any further, Paul's got a bunch of us beat already. Beat in the contests of sufferings, if there's a suffering contest. How bad do I have it? How bad do I have it right now? And then how bad did Paul have it? He's like, uh, imprisonments. He was in jail. Now, why was he in jail? Was he in jail because he was like, you know, stealing things? No, he was in jail because he was preaching the gospel, trying to do good things. 
and he was in jail. And then countless beatings. Now, I got spanked growing up, but you can't necessarily qualify that as beatings as we would see it described in the scripture. I mean, he like really got beat. I'm okay, by the way. I, I survived. <clears throat> I think I did. No, I'm good. So listen to some of the things that Paul went through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Five times he was whipped 39 times. Of five different occasions he was whipped 39 times. That's a few, isn't it? That'll add up on your backside. And who was doing this? The Jewish people, the religious people. It wasn't actually like a, a group of Satanists or something. You know what I'm saying? Like this was the people that are supposed to be the religious people. And they whipped five different occasions. He got whipped 39 times. Let's continue. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. This has nothing to do with the new laws coming in our nation. Some of you will figure that out later. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Three times shipwrecked. A day and a half he was drifting at sea. Verse 26, on frequent journeys and dangers in rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers of my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers. That's everywhere, people. With the people that, that were on his side and people that weren't on his side, there was danger everywhere he went. Danger in the city, danger in the water. Like everywhere he went, he was experiencing danger. In toil and in hardship through many sleepless nights like those of you that have young children you identify with what paul said in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure and apart from all these other things there is the daily pressure on me um, by anxiety for all the churches so paul had planted a bunch of churches and then he was concerned for their welfare what was being preached in them and how the people were doing and then how the leadership was doing, the weight of all of that was coming on him. And then he says this, verse 29, who is weak when I am not weak? In other words, if when somebody's going through something and they're facing weakness and then I actually sense that myself, I have empathy for what they're going through. Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? So somebody falls into sin and then it, it ends up bothering Paul. And then he says this interesting phrase in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So Paul is going through all of this stuff. And he's got us all beat on all of the life difficulties. But at the end of it, he's saying, I'm going to boast about the things that actually expose my weakness. Expose where I actually come up short. Now why would Paul be saying that? Why would he be talking about all of these, you know, difficult things and then actually ahead of time he's saying these are just light, momentary. And how, as I talk about these things, he's not bitter and he's not angry. He's not, you know, cursing God. You know, he's out there trying to do God's work and he's getting beaten and whipped and stones thrown at him. 
and he's drifting in the sea, and he's shipwrecked. He wasn't bitter towards God. In fact, he's saying, I'm, I'm happy about these things, that they actually expose my weakness. What is Paul talking about? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to see about these situations. So Paul actually goes to God about all of this. All of these struggles, all of these difficulties that he's having. And he goes to God in prayer and we see about this. In verse 7 it starts, it says, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being becoming conceited. A thorn in the flesh. Now we use this phrase. Sometimes we say, oh man, they're just a thorn in my side. Have you ever used that phrase? What is that? It's just an irritation to me. And so Paul is saying and describing this, everywhere I go, there's like a thorn in my side. And it's coming. And what is it? The scripture said it's a messenger of Satan. In other words, the enemy. It's not God doing all of these things to Paul. It's not God shipwrecking Paul. And that's not God causing all of these things to happen to Paul. Paul is saying, what is it? It's a messenger of Satan. It's the enemy coming. And it says to harass me. Now, that word harass means blow after blow. Blow after blow. Have you ever felt like that sometimes in life? Where it's like one thing hits you, and then another thing hits you, and then another thing hits you. And you kind of feel like you're in some sort of strange boxing match. Where you just kind of like, you know what, I just kind of need a break from life. Things are coming to me one after the other. And this is how Paul is describing the difficulties, the harassment that he would face in every city where he would preach the gospel. So he's going to God about this. He's kind of like, you know, God, I'm trying to do a good thing here. I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm trying to plant churches. Is there a way that, you know, I could go somewhere and then not have a problem? Is there a way that I could go somewhere and not experience any haters? And, you know, if I could go to a city and have them not throw rocks at me, I'd appreciate that. But the question is, see, as we think about questions like that, life isn't actually like that. Life, as Jesus described, is going to be tribulation in the world. There is going to be ups and downs. There is going to be tribulation in the world. So let's see and understand how God answers Paul as he goes to him about these situations. So he says three times in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So in other words, you know, God, he went to God three different times. He's like, God, I'm just asking you to not have these situations, to not have these difficulties, to not get whipped in the next city that I go to. Verse 9, here's how God answers. But he, talking about God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's why Paul says, I'm happy about the things that expose my weakness. Why? Because I go to God and he says, My grace is sufficient. My grace is actually the thing that you need, Paul. It's not that you don't need your circumstances to change. Because circumstances are circumstances. They're going to be temporary. They're going to be up and down. 
But what you need from me, you need my grace. And then what does he say? My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace, my favor, my ability, the thing that I give you in the middle of circumstances that are up and down. That's what I need. I don't actually need the circumstances to change. I need the grace that God offers to me. See, sometimes people read this and say, well, you know, God said no to Paul. Uh, God, could you do this? And God said, no, no, God didn't say no at all. God said, Paul, what you need is my grace. The thing that I actually free, freely give to you, the thing that I actually offer to you, my grace is sufficient. My favor upon you is sufficient. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But in me, on the inside, you can actually be experiencing my grace in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of getting beaten with rods, in the middle of being shipwrecked, in the middle of blow after blow, difficulty after difficulty. What is it that we need? We need God's grace. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. Then he says this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul made this realization that as he went through all of these things and blow after blow, difficulty after difficulty, that each time exposed this idea that in and of his own strength, he wasn't enough. I am weak. But then he's, once he realized that, hey, when I identify in myself that I am weak, I know that in that moment that his grace is sufficient his grace is the thing that fills up my tank when my strength is all gone his grace is the thing that we need his grace is the thing that shows up when my weakness is exposed man and my weaknesses are exposed all of the time my weaknesses show up all of the time I mean, we can get up in the morning and, and try to make breakfast for our kids and our kids complain about the breakfast that we make, that we make and then my strength is all gone for the day because I'm working for these kids and I'm doing this and they don't even care. They're not even grateful. And, this, 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 this. and then all of a sudden my strength is gone. But whatever it is that's exposing our weakness, what do we go? We go to God and what does he say? What is his answer? He says, my grace is sufficient. And once we understand about the nature of grace, and we understand that it is the nature of God, that we can come to him gladly and receive his grace. See, the more and more that we go through these things, the more and more we experience life, it can actually start to make us fearful about our future. You ever been in one of those seasons a blow after blow season where you feel like you're being harassed. This is coming and this is coming. And then you might actually say to yourself, 
I'm not even sure if I want to get up tomorrow. Because this thing happened. What is tomorrow actually going to bring? Let's read here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble, the ones that know they need his power. See, for those of us, we, I, I, I'm good. I, I don't actually need God. I'm good on my own. I can do my own thing. And I, I don't, I just ha- I'm just going to rely on my own strength. What is that? Well, that, that's pride. We do actually need God's help. We do actually need God's wisdom. We do actually need God's ways. God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. Paul was, said, I'm, I'm glad that these things expose my weaknesses. Why? Because in those moments, I can go to God and his grace is sufficient. That his grace is more than what I need. So I want, I want to humble myself and receive God's grace. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of this fear about the future. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about the economy? And what about the political situation? And what about unrest in the Middle East? And what about this? And what about all these fears that I have about the future? The scripture says we got we to gotta humble ourselves. And what are we going to do? We're going to cast all of those cares on him. Why? Because what, what are those cares? What do they expose in us? They actually expose a weakness. Because I'm, I'm afraid about this. I'm afraid about this. I don't know about this. What are we going to do about this? And what am I going to do about my kids? And what about this? That's afraid of the future. So what do we need to do in those moments? Oh, man, I actually need God's grace. In this moment, in this time. And what does the scripture say? That God's grace is sufficient his grace is enough his grace is what we need his grace is the thing that changes us on the inside matthew chapter 6 famous portion of scripture jesus is speaking here in verse 31 he says therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat what shall we drink what shall we wear For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, I don't have to be afraid about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. What is Jesus telling us in here? What is he telling us about our worldview? That I'm not going to live in anxiety. 
because this has happened to me and had, had this happened to me and it's exposing my weakness and now I'm afraid about tomorrow. See, when we're anxious about the future, what we're doing is we're reaching into the future with a negative mindset. We're reaching past today and then we're nervous about tomorrow. But what is it that we need to remember? When we get up to, tomorrow morning, when tomorrow becomes today, that that day God has grace for us. So I don't have to be afraid of my tomorrows. I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. I don't have to be afraid of next week. I don't have to be afraid of next year. I don't have to be worried about this decision that I'm going to make in two years. I know when I get up that day, God's grace will be sufficient for me. But what if I get up that day and it exposes my weakness? That's what we do. It does expose our weaknesses. And then we go to God for his grace. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Last verses and then we're done. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness. So Jesus came. He lived on the earth. He knows what it's like to live in this flesh. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus didn't sin, even though he faced all the same things we do. Verse 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What is God's grace called? I mean, what is God's throne called? It's the throne of grace. In other words, it's the throne of a free gift to you. It's not the throne of do you measure up. It's not the throne of how good have I been this week. It's not the throne of did I pray enough this week. And did I read my Bible enough this week. And then I can come to the throne. No, you go to the throne the throne that says you don't actually deserve it, but he gives it to you anyway. The throne of grace. And so we all can go to the throne of grace every day. To what? To find grace in our time of need. So what do we need? In this season of our life. What type of strength, what type of peace, what type of wisdom, what type of, what healing power do we need in our lives? What, what kind of throne is it? The throne of grace. The throne of God's favor to you. Not of our own qualifications. But something that Jesus has done for us that we can go to his throne and he gives gifts to us, gifts that we don't deserve. But he still wants to give it to us. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful that we can come to your throne of grace. God, and we pray and we thank you for your grace today. We thank you, Lord, that it is sufficient for this moment in my life. Whatever affliction, whatever thing that we're going through right now, 
Lord, we know that your grace is sufficient, that your grace will see us through. As we live and breathe, that you give us your grace every day, that you are reaching out to us with your hand of favor, your hand of love, your hand of forgiveness, and you just freely give it to us. So we thank you for your grace today. We thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.